Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Look, it slightly favors the right footer here, but Griffiths... Having got the goal, goes again! Quick fire and drags it down now. Long way out. Oh, what a goal! Oh, here comes up, Jack's goal! Scotland have scored! It's a goal! It's Dykes! It's McDonald's! Welcome to the Hand and Roar podcast. Scotland away in Georgia. A 2-2 draw is what we had to settle for in a stadium that can bring about a few bad memories. We have a happy one now with Warren Shanklin's last-minute goal. And we now move on to the final game of the group against Norway on Sunday, which will be a nice send-off. It's the first time the fans are together at Hamden since qualification was confirmed. So we'll review last night's game and look ahead to the weekend's match in the company of former Scottish Premiership striker Rory Lloyd. BN Sports commentator Callum Brown and Marcus Fjortov, whose name should ring a few bells. He used to play for Air United, Hamilton Ackies, Greenock Morton, and more importantly, is Norwegian, so can help cast an eye on Sunday's match from their perspective. Thanks for coming on, Marcus. Nice to have you with us. Pleasure to be on, and I'm um, looking forward to uh, discuss Scotland and both Norway as we look ahead to Sunday. Well, Callum, Rory, you guys are fairly regular on the pod now. We'll just have a quick glance over the league table. That was Scotland's first draw of the campaign last night. We rescued it in the last minute. Callum, Lauren Shankland off the bench. A great moment for him and a, a lovely header. Two subs combining with Stuart Armstrong sending in the cross as well. Yeah, no, um, good, to, good to get a point from uh, the situation we were in. Obviously, as you mentioned in the intro, Andy, a, a ground we've struggled at in the past. And, and last night was no different. Um, difficult, difficult um, place to go. I thought, you know, Kvart Skelia was, was very good, despite his, his kind of antics, um, along with, with the most of the Georgian players, which I'm sure we'll, we'll maybe get into. But, you know, it was, was good to see Shanklin come off the bench, obviously with a, a point to prove. I um, don't think Dykes was, was terrible, but... Um, you know, I, I kind of agreed with the change. It, it wasn't really falling for him. He'd had a few knockdowns, um, but it was great to see Shankland come off the bench. He's been in good form recently for, for Hearts. He's a, a striker playing well. I'm sure he's probably got a, another move in him. Um, and yeah, you know, he's doing his chances of featuring on Sunday, no harm at all. Rory, we switched to four at the back last night with the absentees, Robertson, Tierney and Hickey. How do you think we 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 showed up or how we fared with, with that shape? Well, I think a change of shape, um, especially with an international team having played the, the the three or the five for so long. I think one thing that's underestimated in football is the length of time from people on the outside is is how difficult it is when you're used to playing a formation with a side, how long it takes to get the intricacies of a new formation right. And I think that showed last night at times. I think we're a little bit vulnerable. Uh, I think the two on either side get caught high up the park at times. I think Greg Taylor was left a little bit exposed. The distances weren't quite right. And, you know, we were made to pay for that. However, given the injuries we had, given the change of formation, uh, I don't think the performance was, was too poor at all. Uh, I think a draw was probably fair overall. And, you know, it, it's food for thought for Steve Clark moving forward. However, going into the Euros, it's not a formation or a system that I, I, <laughs> I would be particularly comfortable with, seeing how successful they've been with three at the back. Well, Callum, we were missing at least five, maybe even six certain starters last night. So Angus Gunning goals, Robertson, Tierney, Hickey. Shea Adams and Grant Hanley, 
probably more of a, a toss-up, but I would imagine that Hanley starts under Steve Clark and Adams is a, a, co- a coin toss with, with Lyndon Dykes most of the time. We were still able to field a decent team, though. What the the observation seems to be is that we're for going with that shape, or if we need to go with that shape, we don't really have any wide players to stay high up the park and make use of that space to stretch the defence. Maybe with people like Ryan Fraser, we might have been able to uh, even a few years ago. Yeah, no, that was a that was a point I was going to make with the, the four. Not only did it, I would say, restrict us defensively, I, I felt it restricted us a little bit um, going forward. I felt, I mean, Christy and McGinn, they're very good players. They're not they're not wide men, though. They were kind of playing as, I don't know if you, you want to call it inside number 10s type thing. McGinn off the right, Christy off the left. And you weren't really as often as you would with wing back getting that, that support from, from Patterson and Taylor. Um, plus when, when they got forward, it was, you know, it left us kind of susceptible to a counter-attack with just um, Portius and McKenna back. But um, I felt we, we controlled large spells of the game. But I think Georgia probably allowed us that control. I think they were comfortable. They'd, they'd gone and got their goal um, and they were just comfortable sitting in. It took us, I'm not going to say a lucky goal at all from from McTominay, but it, it's slightly fortunate. Um, to to get us back into it, and then again, it's poor defending for the second goal, which is which is rather rather frustrating, especially when you've you've wrestled um, to to get on level terms. But I don't think it was a, a classic game from a, a Scotland point of view. It's definitely concerning in a way. Um, you know the fact that we we had those players missing and and we weren't up to our best. I don't think even the the better players um, performed brilliantly, but. I think there's always a clamour to, to go to four at the back when maybe a, a Tierney's out or a Robinson's out. But I think the, as as Rory alluded to, the, the three's probably what what Clark has set in stone and, and how everyone knows whether you're coming in from the, the cold, whether you're coming in from the bench, you know how the system works. Um, and I think three's probably the way forward. Um, but, you know, in saying that, it did, did work towards the end. We did have... You know, less defenders on the pitch when Shankland came on and Armstrong did well in, in a sense cutting in from the left I know not an out and out winger but that kind of worked in a way I think it was maybe Kenny McLean dropped in at left back and he offered the overlap and Armstrong kind of ignores that uses that run and whips a good ball in um, but a kind of a, a frustrating night but good to get a point in the end um, especially with the kind of the time wasted antics yeah, I, I don't know how much sports scene focused on that, Rory, but did you see much of what the Georgians were up to with the, the play acting and trying to call on the referee pretty much every 10 seconds? Yeah, I mean, th- there's a level of expectation when, you know, you go to mainland Europe. I, I do think that I have to say Scotland and England are getting more and more guilty of it in recent times. However, um, yeah, listen, you need to manage that when you're out there. And one thing that I did like, despite it not being Scotland's greatest performance, was the fact the reaction of the players. It's a meaningless game, essentially, um, to an extent. And the reaction of McTominay when he scores the equaliser. And can I just say that Greg Taylor's touch, first time touch into Kenny McLean for the goal, for McTominay's goal, was exceptional. I think you really, really see the fruits of the labour he's put in. Uh, the work he's put in at Celtic in terms of being that inverted fullback in the middle of the pitch. He's a very clever football player and I think that was an exceptional touch from Taylor. But generally speaking as well, Armstrong's reaction, of course Shanklin getting his first goal um, for Scotland in such a dramatic time of the match. I think they managed it to an extent the 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 way, I know McTominay touched on it afterwards that he wasn't particularly happy by the way they were behaving and acting. But if you're Georgia and you're looking for a result, you know, they're obviously happy to use any means possible. And, you know, one defeat in the group thus far, a loss away in Spain is nothing to be embarrassed about. A draw away in Georgia, given the circumstances of the group and the hunger and desire of the players, when they could quite easily have just accepted uh, a 2-1 defeat, was was very good. And it's a sign of the times under Clark, I think. So I think there's a lot to be positive about. But I think when you hear Callum talking there about Kenny McLean at, at left back and John McGinn on the right, you know the right side of midfield and Christie on the, uh, you know there's too many um, 
round pegs and square holes. It, it just, it's just too much. So, you know, we, we do have a fantastic squad, but we do need a plan B if, if our bigger players aren't going to be missing at times, I think. The character's a fair point. We've now, I know that the qualification was over the line already, but that's us won four points from losing positions in the final minutes of games in this campaign. Three of them coming in Norway, which pretty much have sealed the deal when, when you look at it. Um, when Marcus you look at turned the his camera off just as you said that there, Andrew. <laughs> <laughs> He's away to get a tissue for those tears. Uh, of, still, uh... still trying to deal with that. Still trying to deal with that absolute <laughs> abysmal last five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, but then Shanklin as well coming on last night and getting his opportunity. There are shouts Plenty of them. It might just be recency bias because he scored the equaliser last night, but he's a goal-scoring striker, whereas Lyndon Dykes, in the grand scheme of things, is not probably known for that. She Adams hasn't been doing it recently. We still don't know if Jacob Brown will do that for Scotland or not. So, Lauren Shanklin, Callum, in from the start? Yeah, it's, it's something that I'm not against. Um, <clears throat> I thought he was he was good when he came on. I've I've been on record on on this podcast, Andy, as you know, saying you know how much I, I like Shankland at Hearts. Um, similarly to Nisbet, I think the last season, season and a half, they've they've upped their games. I felt so. I, I, I watched Shankland as well when he was in the Championship with Dundee United, and I I felt at times he would maybe drift in and out of games, but now with Hearts, he's a focal point. He's even played as a number ten at times, um, and I think at international level, you kind of need that that level of hold-up play that, that Dykes will give you, but I think Shanklin could offer it um, alongside the goals. He maybe, and it, it's not a bad thing at all, he maybe used to just be a goal scorer or a penalty box striker, if you want to call it that. Um, but I think he's he's added a lot more to his game recently. He's taken it to, to a next level. Um, and obviously coming off the bench, great um, cross from Armstrong, but it's a fantastic header from, from Shanklin. It's, it's hung up well, but you know, he's generated a lot of power on it to to put it past the goalkeeper, who I thought was was very good for for Georgia. Um, but you you touch on the the coming from behind and things as well. You know, that's that's a few occasions now. It's it's shown the strength and depth of the squad as well. You know, you bring Shankland off the bench uh, last night. Armstrong obviously off the bench sets it up. Um, sorry, Marcus, but McLean coming off the bench as well in Norway. Um, you know, it's. It's shown that the strength and depth, and that I mean, we know this already, but but Clark trusts his squad. Um, whoever he's gonna gonna bring on, um, you know, it's a a squad game, and, and everyone's you know got the chance to be used. Well, Rory Armstrong has to settle really for cameos for for Scotland these days. His cross was lovely. It was very similar actually to his cross for. Ralston at the back post against Armenia in the Nations League, just kind of dropping it into the the back post area, and the well, Ralston in that case, but the the man at the end of it is able to to stick it into the back of the net. I think the the subs had a good impact last night. It's in, it's curious that Shanklin was brought into the squad after Jacob Brown had already been picked. Yet when we needed a goal, Clark turned to the man who was really an emergency call-up in the end because Shea Adams had pulled out. I suppose they must have different qualities. I think Brown is pacier. Uh, he must be able to stretch the game more, whereas Shankland, at the moment, I, I can't think of anyone since Griffiths was involved 2017-ish as a better finisher available to us. I know that McTominay and McGinn have scored loads, but as a striker. Yeah. Yeah, no, listen, that's a fair point. And Callum makes some interesting points about Shankland. The one thing I picked up on a couple of things that he said and initially said, you know, he needs to go in and improve himself. And I agree with that outside of the box. I don't think anyone would doubt, even at international level, that Lauren Shanklin, given the chance to score a goal, could score a goal. I don't think he needs to prove that he can score goals. I think he would do that for Scotland. And then, you know, Callum went on to say that his hold-up play, which has improved dramatically. I think you know you're getting that from Dykes and you know you're getting that from Adams. Whereas... You know, even the way Callum put it there, you know, I, I think Shanklin could do that, and I and I think it's that we doubt that we see the doubt in Steve Clark's head. Can I trust this guy to go in from the start of a game, which is very different to coming on for fifteen minutes, 
hold the ball up, bring others into play, and then cross as well. Once you've knocked the ball off or got it wide, you then need to get into the box, which you know he, he, he's very good at doing. So I believe that Shanklin has the quality to go in from the start, hold the ball up, and do all these things. But it's that side of his game that he needs to prove at international level against, you know, no disrespect to the Scottish League, but, I, you know, the international stage is, is better quality than most leagues in Europe. So um, I, I think it's that side of the game that he needs to go in and do consistently and consistently well. And I think he needs to turn up and train in every day and do it as well. I think Steve Clark will be one uh, who will look into training and things like that. So when it comes to, to Lauren Shankland, I do believe he has all the attributes to do well for Scotland. I think if he does get the nod on Sunday... It's a massive, massive game for him. I think it would hold more water for him to go in and do well as an all-round striker than it would to go in and score three tap-ins on, on Sunday. I really do. Um, because I don't think there's any doubt he can do that. So it be interesting to see. But again, it's another string to our bow. I personally would have him in the squad ahead of Brown. And that is probably me being slightly ignorant because I don't watch Brown on a weekly basis. But I know what Shanklin can offer and I think it's enough. And just touching on the subs as well, I think that it's been proven over the, the course of this campaign. I mean, you've got Lewis Ferguson sitting on the bench there, who has been an absolute standout in Serie A. He's now the Bologna captain, um, you know, pushing to get on. And it's credit to this squad of players that the same players consistently have went in and performed. And that's why these players are sitting on the bench. So when they haven't performed quite as well as they have been doing, the likes of last night, that's when it's critical that these players like Armstrong and Shanklin go in and go, right, I was knocking on the door, I'm now banging it down, so I should be starting on Sunday, and that's the sign of a healthy group. Ferguson on at half time did well in the second half. Don't think he looked certainly out of place. Um kind of a seven out of ten performance from Lewis Ferguson, worthy of being in the team. Marcus, just on Shankland, did you play with him at air? No, I did not. That was before uh my time, but uh there certainly were uh a lot of praise heaped on him while I was there and then around the, the building. Because I know of his, yeah, I mean, quite frankly, phenomenal goal scoring record while there as well. When, when, no. when he when he was at, when he was at United then in the Championship, did you have to defend against him a few times? I never played against him. Weirdly enough, never. I think I don't know if he went abroad when I was in Scotland a bit, etc. So I never actually, um, no, I never had the fortune of, of playing as. Or the misfortune, maybe. Misfortune. <laughs> 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 but yeah. Um, De- decent, decent comeback performance from Scotland last night. Disappointing to fall behind twice, but as Rorian and Callum have recognised, we, we showed character to come back. McTominay, again, we have to quickly mention McTominay. Seven goals in this group, quite sensational. If he scores again on Sunday, that will be the record for the most goals scored in a group stage by any Scotland player ever. He's currently level with McGinn on seven from the... 2020 qualifiers but McGinn scored a hat-trick against San Marino and I think he's also level Callum with Fletcher on the 2016 qualifiers but Fletcher scored a hat-trick against two hat-tricks against Gibraltar in, in yeah. that group which kind of muddies the waters a bit whereas McTominay is turning up with important goal after important goal which are making differences in isolation like we, we would not have a lot of the points that we do, like we would two points against Spain gone if McTominay hadn't been there. Um, we we wouldn't have got the point last night if McTominay hadn't scored. So yeah, massive, massive difference maker for us last night, and without a doubt, the the player of the campaign for us. Really special attacking midfield that, that Steve Clark has turned him into. Okay, let's turn our attention to Sunday, and we'll go straight in with Marcus because we thought that this game might have been a showdown at Hamden to decide who finishes second in the group behind Spain. It hasn't turned out that way for well, both of us, Marcus, but disappointingly for Norway, how are you and the rest of your compatriots looking at this campaign? How's it, how do you feel it's gone? Oh, well, extremely, extremely disappointing, of course. And what better than a showdown at Hamden to decide uh, who would go to the Euros? And we would have loved that. And there is something special about going to Hamden. Obviously, now Scotland's qualified. Norway still a very slim, <laughs> a slim, the slimmer of thought, like chance of going to the Euros. Now I think we need to, Israel to beat Romania and etc. It's a sad ordeal in the sense that we haven't been to a championship since 2000, the Euros. 
um, been very close on several occasions. And it's the same tune that goes again in this campaign. Had we not drawn away to Georgia, had we held on for that those last five minutes against Scotland, et cetera, et cetera. And yes, to some degree, I can empathize with it. On another hand, I can't because, as we all know, that's football. That's football is decided by moments, decided by game management. I mean, hindsight is 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 okay to have, of course, but you, you'd like to think that had we not subbed off Holland against Scotland, I think, I think even Steve Clark addressed that after the game, that that gave them some hope to push forward as there wasn't that threat in behind and the aura and presence that Holland has. Um, if you look at the first 31 games that Stola Subakin has had the manager, it's pretty much right up there with, with the previous ones. Yeah, I don't know where to start in the sense that if you look at our team, it's got a plenty of talent, plenty of players, offensively speaking. In the attacking third, we are stacked and it's super exciting. And then I think Scotland's a great comparison in the sense that Steve Clark has built a great team. An okay squad, that's not what I'm saying, but there shouldn't be any reason why Norway shouldn't have done what Scotland have. But they have a great team, a great defensive foundation. You guys were talking about tactics in terms of setting up. I think Norway and the manager still hasn't got a clear idea of how he wants to set up the team either. And so therein lies kind of this, yeah, this analysis of how we're going to try to figure this out and try and qualify for, yeah, the 2026 World Cup. Callum, if we look at Norway's team, I can imagine in a parallel universe that I'm not going to get into the realms of combined 11s, etc., but these guys can't be far off the level of the, or even further ahead than the level that we are using or we are selecting from. So you've got a Dortmund defender in there. You've got Christopher Eyer, who's playing in the Premier League. You've got Ostergaard, too. I think he's in and out the Napoli team. Then you look, you've got Odegaard and Haaland. Alexander Sorlot, if he was Scottish, 100% is our first choice striker. No doubt about it. So, I mean, these are Melling, Birger Melling. I remember seeing him for Rosenborg in the Champions League qualifiers years ago. Brilliant left back. So, Mar- Marcus is right. That this, this seems to be a team that has not performed to the sum of its expected parts, if that makes sense. No, definitely. Um, I was thinking about this the other day, actually. I think probably if you can combine the two teams, you're maybe a, a dark horse for a Euros, maybe getting to a semi-final or something. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's as, as Marcus touches on, it's stacked with quality, you know, world-class Erling Haaland, world-class Odegaard as well. Um, and, and the team's just, just stacked with, with so many good players. Um, I think looking ahead to Sunday as well, maybe... I'm I'm not sure if I'm right in saying, but just just looking at the, the team that started against the Pharaohs last night, um, am I right in saying there was a, a good few rested last night? Um, so again, potential for us being a little bit leggy, playing playing a, a full strength, whereas um, Norway come into it with a friendly. Um, it is a it is a difficult one to to put your finger on because. I think Scotland, we're lucky now, we're we're in a generation or a group of players where you're looking at them delivering them. Um, you know, we've we've been through that as you touch on Marcus with the, the not qualifying since two thousand. You know, I hadn't up until a couple of years ago I hadn't seen a Scotland team qualify for something in my lifetime. And you know, it's part fortunate we've got this group of players now, but I mean we used to have fantastic players as well, you know. You look at the you know, guys like McFadden, Darren Fletcher, um, people like that, Barry Ferguson that haven't haven't qualified for a tournament. So um there's definitely we we've we've had players in the past, but we've maybe not had that squad. And I think what I, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say it's what Norway lack, but what we've got, I think, is a group that, that play for each other, they play for the manager. You can tell that it's, it's maybe a bit cliche, but everyone gets on with each other off the park as well. I think that's a big thing in the the team spirit. You know, they'll they'll go to war for each other. Um, I'm I'm not saying Norway don't have that. Um, and that it's a team of individuals or whatever. But maybe maybe that's that's Scotland and and that's the Scottish mentality. But if if I may interject, like I for us, it's the big thing has been I think the mentality aspect, and that's. Proofs in the pudding, and the Scotland game is a great example of it in terms of how that all fell apart. But 
at some point you do have to question it because if you haven't been to tournaments for such a long time and then now you also have it's not a matter of talent because now you have that so on one hand i'm <laughs> i sound pessimistic in kind of my analysis but at the other um i think part of that is also the fact that norway is a rather young team if norway qualified to the for the for the euros or sorry for the world cup last world cup I think they would have been the second youngest team on average. So the hope is, especially in the attacking th for a third, we have Oscar Bob, who scored his first national team goal, coming through at City. We have Holland, we have Erdogan, um, we have uh, Nusa at Club Bruges, and what have you. So it's a young team, which you'd like to think that, you know, you're in development. It's no indictment of their mentality, the fact that they can deal with it at this point. But Scotland. Scotland is a great team and it's something we have to look to and be, be, be honest with ourselves about because there's been a two and I, I like our national team manager, but it's a bit, ah, oh, but if that would have changed, but if we'd scored first against Spain, if, 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 and yes, but football is, as we know, game of margin, a game of moments. And those are the moments I'm going down to. And that's where Scotland has been brilliant. So, and that's for me, a skill. That's not luck. That's a skill. And maybe that's a result of, the culture, the team that's been built over over years. Stuart Armstrong kind of referenced that and I always take player press conferences with a pinch of cynicism because I think it's it's very easy just to get tied in cliche knots. But Stuart Armstrong was quite effusive in his pre match press conference for Georgia and saying that everything that we have done is down to the mentality that has been changed in us by the manager that everything that we are capable of is because of the manager. And I suppose maybe Norway will, will get to that at some point, whether it's with Solbakken or if somebody replaces him, the, to change the mentality that stops them from conceding two goals in two minutes at home to Scotland when, let's be honest, Rory, we had a crap game for about eight, eight minutes, didn't we? I mean, we, we defended pretty well. Norway needed a penalty to score against us, but we offered nothing in attack that night until... Ostergaard trips over the ball, Dyke scores, and then we get the winner. Yeah, and from a Norway point of view, um, as, as Marcus touches on, it's all about the ifs, but there is a tipping point with ifs where it becomes you know, a stage where there's just too many, as Marcus has touched on. You know, what, what, One thing I do, I do think as you know, Scottish people in general, we can be quite pessimistic, and whilst I agree we have a fantastic team, now, Haaland and uh, Odegaard stand alone as being first picks for any Scotland or Norway side. They're, they're phenomenal players, world-class players, really top-stage players. We don't have maybe an Odegaard Haaland. However, I do think we do underplay the, the strength of the squad we've got and the level at which they're playing. We've got the Aston Villa captain there. We've got... Andy Robertson, who plays for over the course of the campaign, not last night. We've got Andy Robertson there, who plays for Liverpool every week at left back. He's captained Liverpool recently. We've got Kieran Tierney, who, whilst he's injured, would have been playing Champions League football at Sociedad. Uh, John McGinn, the captain of Aston Villa, as I said. We've got a very, very good squad playing at a very, very good level. Now, the manager's been able to come in and mould a side which is works really, really well together. There is that good team um, mentality. I agree with all of that. But I also think there's a place to say, well, we've got good players as well who are playing at a good level. It's not all down to just, um, you know, Steve Clark creating a good mentality and team. You know, Callum McGregor, captain of Celtic, playing in the Champions League. Yes, he's had a tough time with it with some of the results, but these, these a lot of these players are playing at the highest level and there's absolutely no reason why... Um, Finishing second in that group. Norway will feel the same. We haven't got it quite right this campaign, whereas we have. And I, I do think it does come down to, you know, the, the manager's found a way of playing and a, an ideology which, which the players are buying into. I accept that. But we also have very talented players within that as well. Promos can't be asked. That's it. See ya. Come on. 
Yeah, see ya. Garfield Ground, silly game, fuck off. Marcus, last night before the Scotland game, I uh, heard a few murmurs in the media about dead rubber, meaningless game, etc. I think for the more committed or ardent Scotland fans, especially now that Scotland are doing consistently well, that notion is is disappearing slightly. I, for a lot of people, there's never been a meaningless Scotland game. How is it for Norway heading into this one? Are you feeling similar vibes from the local media or the Norwegian fans? I mean, I think we're still living in uh, yeah, the thin hope that uh, things can go our way. And as such, it's in preparation for that. Of course, generally, there is there is that vibe to it, if you may, that, um, yeah, that we're not going to the to the Euros. Having said that, you can put it one way. You can say you've, you've been picked for your national team. You'll obviously uh, do your best to establish your position within the team. Um and also on the, for Surbakken, it's important that he that he shows that there is progress within the team. And I think there's been progress and he's uh, underlined a few key areas in which they wanted to improve in terms of playing against an established kind of defense in terms of Norway controlling possession. You have set pieces, you have counterattacks in which they want to improve on, um, but also for individual players as well. And, you know, a game like Faroe Islands yesterday where we're expected to win, we win 2-0 and then kind of dies out because we make a lot of subs at halftime. Someone like, and the Scottish audience will be familiar with Christopher Iyer, who's not been given much chance by Sulbach. And I don't think he, I don't think he's been all too convinced by him defensively. And as such, we had Ostegor, as you mentioned, at Napoli. We have Stramberg, who's currently fighting a, a relegation in Norway. I think he's mid-30s at this point, who's largely been brought in for his leadership and his character. Um, but Ayer plays Premier League. Uh, Ayer says that he's improved defensively over the last year or so. And so while he plays a game like yesterday against Ferro Islands, where there's minimal defensive kind of challenge, which probably was a bit reminiscent of his Celtic days in which, you know, they had the ball a lot. Tomorrow will be a great test for him in a atmosphere he's obviously familiar with at Hamden, but also to prove himself that he will be the leader back there. So I guess my conclusion is that there are individuals both uh, on and off the pitch who still have something to prove. Uh, and so while the media will have their kind of agenda, <coughs> these players, a coach in attendance, they have still everything to show because I think we're still left with a few more questions that we have answers after this campaign. Rory, Steve Clark has never been one for handouts. And I think that it's absolutely right. We go full tilt here for a victory. We do not treat this as an experiment, uh, experimental 90 minutes. But in saying that, is there anything that you think or hope we should do differently on Sunday than we did last night against the Georgians? Let's say that we keep the, the four at the back. I think that the reason last night that maybe that happened is... Obviously, we didn't have Tierney and or Robertson. I was surprised Henry didn't start, to be fair, but I think that's probably because McKenna's left-sided on the left of a four and then it's between Porteous or Henry on the right. Is there anything that you would you would like to see differently? I'm thinking, OK, we've covered Shankland. Taylor did all right last night. We've got Doig in the squad. Any room for Lewis Ferguson in midfield? Or did Gilmore, McGregor and McTominay do enough? I would quite like to see Lewis Ferguson given an opportunity. I've been banging that drum for a wee while and I've always understood why he maybe hasn't been given the opportunity. I have slight concerns over Sunday for a number of reasons. Uh, my fear is that yes, comes heightened expectations. Norway are a very, very good side. They've got very, very good players. I fear a little bit from Norway's perspective the shackles may be off slightly. And they'll maybe feel a little bit more freedom to go and express themselves and play, given the nature of their circumstances, while still having a very outside chance of, you know, qualification. So I, I think we may see the best version of Norway on Sunday throughout this campaign, whatever that looks like. Um, and, you know, we've already touched on the strengths that they have and the individual players and qualities they have. And I think that 
Steve Clark will need to. I think it'll be a part party atmosphere in Hamden on Sunday, and I think that Steve Clark will need to get through to his players that that, that doesn't trans uh, translate its way onto the pitch. Because if you do do that, Norway have got players that will hurt you. Um, in terms of the personnel, I, I don't think there's any real issues with the personnel. I think anyone that played um, would be capable of of going out and performing on Sunday. I, I personally would, um, you know, would have Ferguson in the team. Um, with McTominay pushing forward the two of them and McGregor at the base um, and maybe give Gilmer a, a, a little bit of time on the pitch off the bench so I would look at doing that I would I would bring Shankland in I think he's capable of playing and producing and he needs he needs to be given an opportunity at some point and this whole he needs to prove himself it can only go on for so long before you give him the platform to actually be able to do that you can't ask somebody to prove themselves by giving them 10 minutes here and there he needs a run at it and I think Sunday's the perfect opportunity I don't think you're throwing him in um, unwarranted or unmerited because Steve Clark doesn't do that. And I also don't think you're throwing him in with major concerns that he's not up to this task. So I do think that if they do go with the four at the back, Norway will have some joy and we may be up against it in stages. But I do think going back to the, the nature of the campaign, there's that feel-good factor. Um that's maybe the one change I would make. If he does want to bring Henry in, then fair enough. But that's not going to make a big difference to how the team set up or play. And I think it'll be a very, very competitive game on Sunday. And yeah, I, I don't know. It's a tough one to call, I would say. And I think I think it's maybe another draw written on it there. Callum, there are a couple of people in the mentions highlighting the, the winger issue We've got Ali Clark, who just simply asks, what about the lack of width in the squad, recognising that Taylor was inverted last night from left-back, and that's completely different to what Robertson or Tierney can usually provide uh, going down the, the left-hand sides. I thought Patterson, to be fair, gets forward more than Hickey does. Hickey's more solid defensively, but Patterson, I think, gets into the opposition final third more than, than Hickey does. Uh, Callum... Ray, he must be familiar with you, Marcus. Callum, A-U-F-C is the username. He says, our lack of options for bringing on a couple of white players in the game really showed. It's true. Um, Jacob Brown is probably the one there, and he probably falls into the Shankland category as well, Callum, that until we see uh, a fair crack of the whip, we just don't really know. It's different with Shankland because here in Scotland, we see him score the goals week in, week out. But with Brown... We, we still don't really know. And th- there are a couple of rumours about Anthony Gordon and, and Harvey Barnes, which uh, kind of opens a different uh, talking point, which we can maybe get to at some point between these internationals. But lack of wide players, Jacob Brown, anyone else I'm missing, really? Because Armstrong often gets played there, but he's not a winger. No. Um, it's, it is an obvious weakness within the squad. Um only, only really highlighted probably by the the formation. Um, you know when we when we play the the three four two one or, or however you want to phrase it. When when there's clamours for the likes of Ben Doak, people go, oh, well, we don't play wingers. That's maybe a that's their reasoning for not including Doak. But guys like Ben Doak, Ryan Fraser, I think he started to come into the fold a wee bit now at, at Southampton. But other than Fraser, that, Callum Fraser, Fraser has. Come off the bench and won to Southampton's last eight games. Mm-hmm. He's, I, I want to say he scored a, a late winner or something as well. A um, couple of goals, yeah. He scored against Hull and Millwall. Yeah, it's 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 a difficult one though because I don't think there's a massive amount of quality. I think we probably are crying out for a couple of wingers in the squad just as as maybe impact. Um, and with the option to if, if you want to play this four two three one, um, but I think the the width comes from from those wing backs, especially when you've got a fit Robertson, a fit Tierney, you know Patterson and Hickey um, on the right, um, whichever one we're wanting to go with. I think for me on on Sunday, I would like to see us go back to the back to the three centre halves, you know, particularly with Sterling Haaland, um, Sorloth as well potentially playing, um, and Odegaard. Up against, you know, well, Odegaard in the in the final third. I think it concerned me last night against Georgia. Just the 
when the fullback went forward, just Porteous and, and McKenna back themselves, and that would even it would concern me even more up against Haaland. Um, and I think not. It doesn't eliminate the lack of width, but your width are from the the wing backs. I think Patterson performs better as a wing back, and maybe is as defensive or, or lack of defensive attributes. I'm not saying he's a bad defender. You touch on there, Andy. I think we we both agree that that Hickey is is a better defender. Um, maybe in the five, um, with a with a right centre back over it, it kind of helps Patterson out and his maybe limitations as well if he's getting forward more. Um, I, I would like to see us go back to the back to the three at the back for Sunday. Thing is, as well, can I just say, Andrew? Sorry. See, yeah, see yeah. on the four two. See on the four two three one. It's not a formation I like, and I've never liked it. I didn't like playing on it. The problem with a four-two-three-one, in my opinion, is that it doesn't matter if you've got a natural winger on either side. If you're playing a four-two-three-one, the two at the base of the midfield simply can't get out to the wide areas to cover defensively. If you're playing a four-three-three, it changes completely because you've got a holding midfielder rather than a number ten, which then puts the two ahead of him further wide and pushed up the pitch so they can get out to these defensive. Um, you can get out to the wide areas to stop the play, uh, the opposition coming down the sides now if you're playing a 4-2-3-1 doesn't matter if it's Ben Doak and Jacob Brown on either side you have to work back the pitch you have to work back the pitch now if you're playing a 3-5-2 or a, uh, you know a 3-4 or a 3 with a 4 in front in terms of your attacking players they don't have as much defensive responsibility so in their heads they can just concentrate and going forward so you know, McGinn and Armstrong, um, sorry, McGinn and Christie last night, they have to do the defensive work. They have to help out their fullbacks. It's not natural. It's not something they're used to. And it takes a lot of getting used to. So I feel that even if you were to play that formation last night, yes, you would have more natural width offensively, but you would they would still need to do the work going back to pitch. And if you're playing that number 10, they have to make an impact in the game because they're not really able to do much in the defensive sense they're there to be creative. So if the number 10 is not impacting the game, we see it all the time, the number 10 will be the first to be substituted off the pitch if the game isn't going in that particular team's favour to shore things up. So I, I do agree that maybe we need width in the team and things if we are going to play that formation, but it's not going to be a case of you know us dominating a game or the, the, those those uh, wingers not having to work back the pitch because you simply have to do that job in a 4-2-3-1. I suppose Marcus Norway are panning in a more golden river than Scotland at the moment with young wide players. I mean, you've got Nusa coming through at Club Bruges, who's, I think he was a forward player anyway, but I think he plays wide. Oscar Bob is a winger for Man City, isn't he? You've got Larson, the Celta Vigo youngster, I think he plays on the right of a, of a front three. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think... Um... You know, we were discussing a bit in terms of Holland before we went on as well, and it's a similar injury to the one he had uh, earlier in the month. So whether in a quote-unquote uh, meaningless game, in the sense from a competitive uh, standpoint in terms of the qualification, will they risk it? Will Norway risk it with City? Who knows? Hedegaard, as we know, has been long out long with an extended uh, period with a concussion and a groin injury, and etc. But... Like you mentioned, we have some exciting wingers. Nusa's not here because he's injured, I believe. But we have Oscar Bob. We have an inform um, Dunham, who, who was part of uh, that Toulouse team that beat Liverpool. So you have some, a few exciting wingers with things to prove. Um, and you mentioned Stran Larsen there, who's at Celta Vigo. Serlot at Villarreal. So good players. And it might be a case in which these players can, can, can prove themselves. And then it's interesting... We, I have alluded to it, but the type of wingers we have, it's pretty exciting for us uh, Norwegian football because these are individuals that look, like to take people on. They like to create a kind of, yeah, it's, 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 it's fun for us neutrals and for us fans alike to watch. And then we can pull that down to kind of the Guardiola phenomenon, the AstroTurf that's in Norway, which I think... For people that don't know Norway, if you go to play in Norway, it's actually rather, let me say, put it this way. When I played in Scotland and I played in Norway, it was different for me uh, because it was Norway, have the Astro, it's, it's a different type of way of playing. And then that will have an impact 
both positive and negative, on what type of players you also develop. When I came to Scotland, the emphasis on on defending, I came there as a 25-year-old. I felt like I had to learn that again because it was there was so much pride taken in that. Um, in Norway, we have great, we, like you said, we have great wingers, but less defensive types, especially in the center back. So it's when you go to like the whole, I keep going back to it, but when you try to analyze kind of the type of players you develop as well, that has kind of a, I guess there's two sides of, of the pendulum, if you may. We'll, we'll, we'll finish with Callum and Rory in a minute, just about what we what they expect to see from Scotland on Sunday. But Marcus, what, what do you expect to see from Norway? I expect a Norwegian team that have everything to prove. Because after another failed campaign in which we have more of the quality to prove, these are now players that should be vying for different positions, whether you have Ayer in the back or you have Oscar Bob on the wing going into 2026. They should have everything to prove. And what better than at arguably one of the best atmospheres in international football than Hamden. So there's a lot of people here to prove. And I'd be disappointed if if we didn't give a wholehearted performance. Because if anything, we have to prove that that game against Scotland, which we should have won, that we'll come to yours. And yes, you can enjoy the Euros and we'll be super jealous. But the fact that we can be you even still. And that's there. therein lies kind of that pride element to it so yeah i'm expecting uh yeah a, a norwegian team that fires on all cylinders callum everyone is looking forward to getting to hamden to to celebrate and and congratulate the team and celebrate with them as well i suppose but for the 90 plus minutes what do you expect to see from scotland on the park with personnel and performance um i think i think shanklin might start um, I, I would like to see that, given his his performance on Thursday, as as Rory mentioned, you know he's got to get a chance at some point. And again, as as Marcus says, quote unquote, meaningless game, but um, it's as competitive as a meaningless game as you'll get. You know, it's it's in a competitive setting. Both teams won't want to lose. It's not a friendly as such. Um, I would it be against Doig maybe getting a run out? I know we we don't want to. To totally weaken the team, Greg Taylor is probably the better option. But again, it's it's nice to see if 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 Doig is is a potential option for the future. Lewis Ferguson as well, both of them thriving in Italy. I just, I just want to see um, us give a good account of ourselves. Um, you know, it won't be difficult to put in a a better performance than than Norway away. Obviously, the, despite that result. Um, Mainly talking about the first eighty-six minutes of that game. If we put in the the last five or so, you know, I think everyone will be happy. But um, yeah, just I just hope, as as Rory kind of alluded to earlier, that it's not a not a party atmosphere on the pitch, and and players think it's job done. You know, we'll still still want a result. You know, whether that's a, a point, whether that's all three. I think we're good enough to to beat Norway, but there's maybe that that shackles off, as as Rory said. You know, Norway have a bit of a point to prove. Not a grudge or revenge match as such, but as Marcus says there, they'll want to they want to go out and, and prove that they can they can beat Scotland. They won't get a reward for it as such, but they'll maybe vindicate those kind of woes from, from the summer. Well Rory, it's important for momentum as well because that's Scotland four without a win now, despite us really all enjoying this moment in time for for being as being Scotland fans, four without a win, if that becomes five with the last competitive game before the Euros, I think that we'll, we'll want to do all we can to avoid that. So just the importance of Scotland's picking up a win here and what you expect to see from the team and Steve Clark. So there's, there's two voices in my head. You know, there, there's that one that's going, it's a perfect opportunity to give the likes of Shankland a, a start. Um, you know, Callum, would like to see Doig start and there'll be people out there who want to see Ferguson start. So there's that voice in my head saying it's the perfect opportunity to do so. And then the other part of me is going, you know, the reasons not to do that are probably twofold. The first one being exactly what you touch on there, Andy, you know, we could do with a win um, because of, I know we played the kind of the powerhouses of European football and world football really over the last three matches and, England, Spain and France um, before that Georgia game last night. So I think he'll want to win the match and he may want to field what he believes is his strongest team. That coupled with the fact that 
the fans will be in good voice on Sunday. They are there to celebrate with the team as well as watch the match qualifying. And it's a little bit like the last game of the, the season when you've won the league. You know, the players who have played all season want to be the ones to go and take the accolades and the, the, the praise and enjoy that time with the supporters. So that, and, and Steve Clark is an extremely loyal manager. So that may be playing a part in his decision making as well when it comes to personnel. And he wants to get the same players out on the pitch that have mainly got the team through to Germany. So know what to see from a Steve Clark perspective in terms of the uh, personnel choice I think Shanklin may be the one out of them all to get the nod, I don't think there'll be too many changes otherwise and I expect them to f- uh, start fast, I think the first 15-20 minutes will be frantic because I think we'll come flying out the traps um, full of adrenaline, when the game settles down after about 20 minutes I expect to see a pretty even contest um, I expect Norway to come out and, and give their all and I expect Scotland to do the same. I don't think there's a lot between the teams. As I've said, you know, when Haaland and Odegaard are fit and playing for Norway, they stand alone. Other than that, I think the teams are evenly matched and I think we'll see a nip and tuck game. And it may just come down to that little bit of belief um, that Scotland have got over Norway at this moment in time. We'll finish off just with the, the pot situation. Scotland's coefficient on Twitter doing great things. So I advise you click the follow button on them if you haven't already, but I'll put into audio what they have written down for us. So pot one, only achievable if Spain lose at home to Georgia. Pot two, if Scotland beat Norway by two goals. Pot three, any other result. Maybe this is a touch of first world problems here, guys, but it would appear that pot three is the kinder place to be for Scotland with the way things are. Belgium are in pot two at the moment. They will swap with Austria in pot one if they beat Azerbaijan, so very, very likely to happen, which would leave pot two. Let's say that we draw against Norway on Sunday. That would leave pot two as Turkey, Hungary, Albania, Slovenia, Switzerland, Austria, and pot three, Scotland, Serbia, Denmark, Ukraine or Italy, Netherlands, Czech Republic. So... Obviously, it'd be nice to claim the pots, but it could be counterproductive in the in the end um, when it comes to the draw, which is on the 2nd of December, and we'll build up to that on the hand and roar. So please make sure, if you're enjoying the pod, you're subscribed, please leave a review. It really helps push it into the, the site of the right people that want to listen to it with the algorithms and everything. And also on the... 4th of December, the first Monday of the month, there'll be another sports quiz at Walkabout, which is a good laugh. So if you fancy coming along to that, it's hosted by me and is usually good fun. So hopefully see a few listeners there. Um, So that's half seven Monday, the 4th of December at Walkabout. But in the meantime, just make sure you keep sharing the pod. It's much appreciated. And thanks for tuning in. Callum, Rory and Marcus, special guest. Thanks very much for joining us. And we'll see what Sunday Scotland against Norway has in store. Podcast Network.